Welcome to City of God, a podcast of the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Dr. Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. Join us each week as we engage the city of man with the biblical wisdom of the city of God. Revolution is in the air. How do you feel it? How do you see it? How do you spot it? Well, you find it today in measures like H.R. 5, a bill that passed the U.S. House of Representatives on February 25th, 2021. The Equality Act, called H.R. 5, makes mainstream beliefs about marriage, sex, biology punishable by law. Basically, H.R. 5 makes gender identity a protected class in the 1964 Civil Rights Act. So, as passed by the U.S. House of Representatives, we cannot discriminate against people in any form or fashion because of so-called gender identity. Gender identity is a new class, a new category, and yet it is one that is very much sweeping across America and remaking existing civil law. Today, I want to talk with you, think with you, about six ways that the Equality Act, if it passes the Senate next, would sweepingly revise American society, American law, and at some level, American culture. Six ways that the Equality Act will change things. And this is dependent upon, to a significant degree, the Heritage Foundation's two pieces, the Equality Act, Gaslighting Reality, and then a second piece, 11 Myths About H.R. 5, the Equality Act of 2021. I commend these pieces of analysis to you that you can find on the Heritage Foundation website. First, if enacted, H.R. 5 will force employers, medical professionals, educators, and even religious organizations like the one at which I work to allow men into women's shelters, pay for and perform sex change operation, and engage in speech that violates consciences. So the Equality Act will allow men to enter women's shelters as one example. It will force employers to enable those who have the gender identity of a woman, though they are biologically a male, to allow that person to go into the woman's restroom. It then makes that uh, legal and legally doable in American society. This is a, a massive change. This is a change that will fundamentally make all sorts of exclusive spaces, rightly exclusive spaces, unsafe for girls and for women. This is all framed under equality. It is framed as fairness. It is framed as people's rights, certain rights of certain individuals, transgender rights, for example. And that kind of rhetoric and framing sounds persuasive to lots of people today, even people in the Christian church. But we should absolutely see it for what it is. Though these sorts of things sound fine, though they come to us cloaked in the tones of peace and light, in reality, there is absolute revolution that they hide. These kind of measures, the Equality Act and its different provisions, its ripple effects, will not make America more equal. It will not make a more just society. It will not make things more fair. What it will do is it will elevate the rights, in air quotes, of those who have a, a certain gender identity, whose gender identity does not match their birth sex, for example, according to LGBTQIA gender theory of the kind 
that is having such a massive and transformative effect in American culture and society. So make no mistake, the Equality Act does cater to certain individuals who say that they have been discriminated against by existing American society. But we need to make very clear here in response that yes, this society is set up along the lines of there being men and women, boys and girls, and then there being all sorts of hard and fast realities that play out because of that in terms of policy, law, structure, even down to the granular level of which restroom you use. But you see, having, for example, again, very granular, a a men's restroom and a women's restroom is not a matter of discrimination against anybody. It is true that some people will not feel like their gender identity or their personal identity in any form is encompassed within just those two categories, men and women, male and female. But that is how America is structured, and America is structured that way for a variety of reasons, one major reason of which is because that is the way God has set up the world. This is the world that God has made. God made them in the beginning, in his image, the man and the woman, male and female. He made them. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. So, our society is not a Christian society per se. Society is not the church. And yet, thankfully, American society, like basically every other society in human history, has built off of the foundational principles that there are men and women, and that thus, in different ways, society should be structured around those realities. But friends, all of this is up for grabs today. Not just up for grabs. All of this is under sweeping assault from measures like the Equality Act. Here's a second effect of the Equality Act if it passes not only the House as it has, but the Senate. Gender identity policies will require biological males to be permitted to participate in female-only activities. Okay, so what this is meaning is that uh, if you have, let's say, a girl who is running high school track, and then there is a boy in the high school, the same high school, who uh, has the gender identity of a girl, again, body of a boy, but gender identity in air quotes of a girl, then that boy is allowed, per the Equality Act, if it becomes enshrined into law, passing the Senate as well as the House, to then join the girls' team, and no one can say anything about this under American law at the highest level. There is no religious liberty protection here that you can cite. There is not going to be some adjudication that will overturn this. This is American law in terms of non-discrimination statutes, and that boy who has the gender identity of a girl can then be on the girls' team and can share the facilities with the girls to the fullest possible extent, and there is nothing that anyone can say about it. And as the law works its way into culture, there is nothing that anyone should say about it. This is an absolutely transformative reality. And this is already playing out, as many of you will know. There are numerous states that already are featuring, uh, for example, it's usually this way, it can go the other way, but boys who identify as a girl competing in girls' athletics and winning numerous competitions and matches and breaking records and these sorts of things. For example, in Connecticut, uh, uh, two boys identified as girls recently and broke 
state uh, track records that were held by 15 different girls. And so uh, three young women have, uh, have taken legal action against these, these two boys for what they have done. I'm thankful they have. I, I hope more of this will continue to play out in America. By the way, if you are listening to this and this sort of thing is happening uh, at your high school, at a local high school, you should get involved too. And as a Christian, there is absolutely no sense in which the Christian faith tells you on matters like this that I am discussing, that you need to be nice, that you need to not raise a ruckus about this, that the imperative of the Christian faith is, is not to get in the mud over these public battles, but instead just to smile and, uh, and sort of try to radiate uh, as much Jesus as you can in the direction of people who are absolutely transforming society. You should always speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15. But if this is occurring in your community, if this is occurring in your school system, if, if this is in some way brushing up against your children, you are totally right to intervene. You are completely justified in raising your voice. You, I believe, should, to whatever extent you can, be salt and light in this situation. And you should speak up to defend young women, or I suppose if it's going the other way, young boys. But it almost never seems to. It almost always, in these kind of cases and matters, goes the way of boys trying to identify as girls, boys or men trying to get into women's spaces, uh, boys or men trying to get into the places where women are protected and exclusively allowed. Uh, So let that be said. But again, There is no biblical verse that would tell you that you need to be some kind of Christian jellyfish on these sort of public matters and then only share a gospel message. That's the only way you are salt and light in American society and culture. That is a lie. That is not true. You should stand up and you should speak the truth in love. You shouldn't hate flesh and blood. You shouldn't hate those who support the Equality Act or any such similar measure. You shouldn't lose your Christian witness if you go to a public hearing or you talk to a coach or you sit down with a confused young man or young woman along these lines. You should be a fruits of the Spirit, spirit bearing believer in a, in, in a thoroughly New Testament way. Everywhere you go, bear the fruit of the Spirit. Everywhere you go, pray to be Christ-like in, in the fullest possible sense, and yet intervene, speak up, be salt and light. Now is the time to do it, not later. Now, too many Christians today are sitting on their hands or are scared or, understandably, are wondering when they should pick the moment to speak up and stand up for the truth. Friends, please hear me. With all Christian charity, now is the time to do this. The hour is drawing very late in this society, in this republic. And if you still have the ability to speak up on behalf of those who are being wronged, as many girls, for example, surely are, by the Equality Act, if it passes, and by similar provisions already that exist as American law in different places or states or neighborhoods, whatever it may be, if you still have that freedom, then you should use it. Third, all single-sex spaces will be open to both sexes under the Equality Act. We've touched on this, but this, this third effect of the Equality Act means that 
basically there is now a nationwide transgender policy in single-sex facilities, as the Heritage Foundation has pointed out. So this means that girls' and women's showers, locker rooms, shelters, prisons are all now totally open again under the force of federal law to transgender individuals, to individuals who have the gender identity of a woman. So under American civil rights law, effectively, men can enter girls' and women's locker rooms. There is no one who can stop them. There is no one who can turn them back. This has passed the U.S. House of Representatives. It looks like it will not pass the U.S. Senate. It looks like that. It needs uh, 60 votes to pass the Senate. Thankfully, it does not appear that there are going to be 60 senators who will vote in favor of the Equality Act. But it's going to be very close if that is the case. It is going to be uncomfortably close. Things are getting very dire indeed on these sort of matters. I am a Christian. I believe that eternal life matters above all. I am trying to live every single minute of every single day for the next world. I am not placing any of my faith and my hope and trust in anything in this realm. I pray you're not either. We all fail in many ways, as James says, and yet this is, this is the, the orientation of our heart. This is the setting uh, of our soul toward heaven, up, upward, not down. But I also know this. There is something in between the most important thing and the least important thing. There is a middle category. And many of these kind of societal issues are not ultimate, but also are not nothing. They matter. They shape the conditions of everyday life in our society, in our community. They affect and bear on the world our children inhabit and will grow up to habit, inhabit and our grandchildren will live in. And so Christians need to always, yes, focus most on what truly matters, everlastingly matters. Absolutely. I've written books on this. I've got a devotional called Always in God's Hands based on the writings of Jonathan Edwards, who was nothing if not a God-centered, heaven-focused Christian man. And, and part of what I try to do in that little devotional, Always in God's Hands, is point the reader to heaven on a daily basis. So I'm all in on heaven, on the heavenward project. I can't wait to go there. I can't wait for Jesus to return, whatever comes first. But that doesn't leave me then, while I wait for heaven, with nothing to do. It means that I am called, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, to be salt and light in a Matthew 5 sense here. And that means further, that when I hear about boys and men who would want to enter the locker room, the changing facilities of girls in my neighborhood, my community, my school that my children attend, I am not justified in thinking, well, we're going to heaven, so there's nothing for the church to do about it. It is the opposite. 
as I said a few moments ago, it is the opposite. Christians should rouse themselves. Christians should wake up. And Christians should speak to these things and contend for the faith and and love their neighbor. Matthew 22, by seeking to defend and protect young women and women more broadly. Fourth, by adding sexual orientation and gender identity rules to the Civil Rights Act's Title IX on desegregation of public education, the Equality Act could pave the way for schools to require sexual orientation and gender identity curricula, SOGI curricula. In other words, uh, educational material that normalizes homosexuality and transgenderism in more simple form. So, just as many American public schools are absolutely being steamrolled by critical race theory and what I call most broadly and generally wokeness, so if the Equality Act is passed by the Senate now or in coming days, there was a prior challenge, of course, along these lines in 2019, then that will probably mean the full-scale revision of public education such that it is little more than indoctrination along the lines of the LGBT movement's major commitment. There is a ton for Christian fathers and mothers to think through today. I am not one who has historically said that the only faithful option for Christian fathers and mothers is to do either homeschooling or Christian school or classical school. That is my preference. That is what I would probably recommend to fellow fathers and mothers. And yet there are public schools out there that are, are strong, and, uh, and, and there are Christian teachers in public schools, and, and there is good that comes from public education. And I was a public school graduate myself, K-12, to and went to secular college. So I know that God can reach you in a secular setting, and God can use Christians there as a light. And I always want to remember that, and I want to leave a place for that. But I also want to know and recognize that this society is not staying static. It is not standing still. It is changing by the day. And so we need, as believers, to make very clear to ourselves and then carefully to our children that we are raising them not to be normal American socialized citizens, first and foremost. As Christian fathers and mothers, with fathers in the shepherding, pastoral, headship role in their home, we are striving to raise our children to know Jesus Christ. We want our children to be disciples of King Jesus. We pray for them to be saved through the knowledge of Christ crucified and resurrected for their salvation. We want them to cling to the cross which washes all sin away and find hope in the resurrection, which is our raising to life in Christ. We are not trying to raise socialized, normal citizens, so-called, first and foremost. We are trying to make disciples, and that is no easy thing, and it is getting harder in this day and age. So, Christian father or mother, think hard and carefully about the educational decisions that confront you. 
These are not easy matters. There are gray areas before you and before me. But we need to have that disciple-making focus ever before us, always remembering again that we cannot save our children and that God's glory, as my pastor Rick Holland has said so well uh, just a little bit ago, is our primary aim as fathers and mothers. Fifth, doctors, according to the Heritage Foundation, could be required to treat gender dysphoria not according to their own view, their own conscience, but to treat it according to civil law. What do I mean here? I mean that if the Equality Act passes the Senate, it is very likely that doctors and counselors could not, for example, refer uh, a, uh, a woman who identifies as a man to a different doctor if that woman wants a double mastectomy because though she has the body of a woman, she has the gender identity of a man. In, in past and present days in different places in this country, a doctor who has uh, a serious conscience issue uh, with a double mastectomy of a woman self-identifying as a man can refer that to a colleague, for example. But the Equality Act, among numerous other malevolent ends, seeks to close down that kind of conscience provision, that kind of conscience-driven decision. This is already happening. Transgender individuals have sued hospitals in New Jersey and California for discrimination along just these lines, lines of mastectomies. This is not theoretical stuff, and it's not far off, and it's not far out. Again, we need to sit up and pay attention. This is happening today. We, we should also pray, if, if you know of a Christian doctor in your church, um, if you're friends with one, if you're the pastor of one, pray for them, uh, seek to help them, talk them through these kind of things, hear what they're going through, because the medical profession is ground zero for many of these changes. There's multiple ground zeros in reality public schools, public facilities also being a ground zero, but the medical profession is, is getting hit by wave after wave of these cultural changes, uh, as I've just been spelling out. I've talked to numerous doctors uh, as I go and I speak at different churches across America um, and even, even beyond to some, some extent, and they tell me exactly that. They tell me that they are in the crosshairs and they do not know how much longer they will be able to practice medicine according to Christian convictions. Sixth and finally, the Equality Act hurts vulnerable children. How? Because it punishes faith-based adoption and foster care agencies. You say, how so? Well, because the Equality Act will likely add SOGI requirements, sexual orientation and gender identity requirements to existing law, which means that uh, let's say, a Christian adoption agency that does not endorse uh, homosexuality and transgenderism or gender identity as a protected class will find themselves afoul of the law and thus unable to help get needy children adopted, or if it's a foster agency, placed in a foster home. This has already happened. <laughs> this has happened at the state level in Massachusetts and Illinois, according to the Heritage Foundation, excuse me, such that there have been fewer foster families just as the opioid crisis has struck in these and other states. 
this is the kind of material that <laughs> calls you to need to take a deep breath. Probably in listening to this, some of you out there listening to this humble, tiny little podcast are feeling just that. That's because you probably feel like you are looking at a 90-foot wave coming at your little beach blanket in the kid's sandcastle that they just constructed. I don't want to speak fear into your heart. I want to speak truth. But it is absolutely the case that if the Equality Act did somehow pass the Senate, as I don't think it will, that this would have absolutely cataclysmic effect on too many American institutions and areas of society and culture to count. Christians are used to operating in the key of anxiety and cultural depression. Let that be said. It's true. I am not here, though, to bash evangelicals for that reason. In the last 50 years or so in this country, it has been one cultural and societal loss after another. I don't mean to indicate that the narrative of the Christian cause and the Christian worldview, the, the beliefs we hold as they are assessed and adjudicated in public, has only declined in, in that direction. I, I, I think in, in actual reality, there have been some losses, many losses, and then there have been some gains, some real gains over the course of the last, let's say, five decades, 50 years, even the last 20 years. I don't believe that the future of our society will only play out in a negative direction, and I believe that because I study the Bible. I try to, and I find in the Bible a God who is not boxed in by human expectation nor by historic trends. I find a God who shocks us. I find a God who surprises us. I find a God who delights us. I'm not saying this as one who is expecting everything to magically get cured tomorrow. I think that American society and culture has been darkening and will continue to do so. But I don't want to counsel fear here. I want to counsel realism. I want us to take stock of where we are. It's like when you are locked in relational conflict and the two of you just keep the conflict ever burning. It's like a fire that never fully goes out. And you never stop and take stock of it and say, where are we? I think we need to do that as Christians. We need to stop and we need to take stock of where we are. And we need to recognize that we are in very serious times indeed. And that provisions like the Equality Act are just about to be passed if they don't pass this time around. So what do we do in such evil times? Here are four thoughts for you as we wrap this thing up. Pray for God's grace first on the church especially and also on our society secondly. 1 Timothy 2, pray for those in authority over us that we might lead a quiet life before the Lord. Pray for God's grace on the church. Pray that God would preserve and strengthen his people. 
even when things feel very difficult indeed for us. Pray. Be a person of prayer. Do not be a person who hears discouraging trends like the ones I have just mapped out and only fires up social media or writes a, an email to a group of friends or church members or, or gets anxious within your, your home or something like this and, and you're, you have a bad day the rest of the day. The, the way to react to the kind of developments that we've been discussing here on this little podcast is to pray. It's to pray to the Lord of heaven and earth. And secondly, it's to read your Bible and know that God works in desperate times. Do a quick study for yourself. Take, I don't know, a week or two or a month and, and just at almost a general, even surface level, examine for yourself how often followers of the living God in the Old and New Testament are in tough times. Unscientifically, I would say it is more often than not in terms of the biblical narrative. There's not only one trend line in Scripture. God does surprising and amazing and hope-giving and wonderfully transformative things in biblical history, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. He often does it when the days look darkest. So let us be a people of hope, fundamentally. We're a people who believe in the cross and we're people who believe in the resurrection, not one or the other. We believe in both. We know where sin is defeated, and we know where everlasting life is found. Let's be those kind of people. Study your Bible to derive real encouragement in times like these, four times like these. The people of God have been in trials like this, and worse, much worse, in days past. So be a person of the book and derive real encouragement and strength and hope for yourself, even as your realism, your Christian realism, fills itself out and you square with reality and you fall neither into blithe optimism nor godless despair in this time. There's something better. I think we could call it if I was to refine the phrase even more, Christocentric realism. We're realistic about where we are, but our hope is in Jesus. Third, contact your local senator and urge them to vote against the Equality Act. Now, some of you out there are thinking, yeah, I hear you. I'm not political, though. The church isn't political. Well, no, the church isn't political, but you're supposed to be salt and light. If you can scrounge up the time, this would be a good thing to do. It'd be good to raise your voice. It matters more than you would think when people speak up to those who represent them. You might think, mm, I'm just dust in the wind. Well, you might feel that way, but actually your voice matters more than, more than we often uh, assume. So I would encourage you to do that, even if, by the way, you have a senator who is on the record about this. These kind of things matter. We are not fighting against flesh and blood, but out of love for our neighbor, we want a society that promotes as much truth, as much justice, as much true equality as we can get. We don't want the amount of those virtues to diminish in our lifetime. 
in God's common grace, we would like to have as much of those virtues and blessings and gifts as we can get. Fourth, speak the truth in love in public. Speak the truth in love. I am not at all wanting to encourage you to lose your head over this and to despair and to then blast people who disagree with you. But I do strongly encourage you to speak the truth in love. Your witness as a Christian matters. It matters tremendously. This is the time to speak. Use these kind of issues not as a political cul-de-sac. Use the Equality Act to speak to God's glorious design for manhood, womanhood, marriage, the family, boys, girls, as creational order. Use this as an opportunity to teach the Christian worldview. Use it as an opportunity to proclaim the beauty of God's design. This isn't some merely political deal. This has eternity written all through it, not in the sense that America will exist forever, but in the sense that the, the very foundational reality of human image bearers, the second truth about humanity, that we're all either man or woman, male or female, is absolutely under assault. You can see that as a negative reality only, or you can say, wait a minute, it is under assault. I should do what I can to promote this truth in the public square. And beyond that, I have a great opportunity to contend for the faith, to teach people what it means to be a man or a woman. I'm not supposed to reduce my convictions when I speak in public to the lowest common philosophical denominator and only tell people what all Judeo-Christian faiths agree on about manhood and womanhood. I'm not reduced to arguments from reason. I'm not reduced to arguments from so-called evidence or science or something like this. When you are a Christian, speak as a Christian. When you enter the public square, you may well use good, solid, uh, common-sense arguments, reason-driven arguments. I do in my writing and speaking as I'm able to, but I always take my Bible with me. I'm not going to be one of these Christians who, who leaves their Bible at home when in some very small way they speak into public matters. Whether it is to your kids around the kitchen table, whether it is at the playground to fellow mothers who may very well not be agreeing with you as you talk, whether it is at a community hearing, whether it is on the floor of the United States Senate, whether you are a pastor, whatever you are, take God with you. Take the Bible with you. Speak from the Bible. Yes, use good arguments of any kind, but your authority is God's Word. So, speak the truth. Every chance you get, we are not a people who are just supposed to emit niceness to everybody. We are a people who are a proclamatory people. We're not simply sharing some nice thoughts for people. We are proclaiming Christ. We are declaring the kingship of Jesus Christ over all things. We are telling people that God the Father is the Father they need and the one who is ruling, overseeing all things, bringing them to perfect completion in his Son. We are those who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and therefore cannot shut off spiritual things when we talk. We literally 
have the Holy Spirit living inside us. So why, why would we try to talk like a secularist when we're in the public square? What could be more strange? Fifth and finally, support your local church. Give generously to it. Evangelize. Disciple. Support it. Your local church is the place where you can get in on the action, the kingdom action. It's where the good stuff is happening. There's an opportunity for witness, of course, beyond Sunday morning fellowship. Absolutely. Meeting in person with the saints. And yet, and yet this is where so much of our focus is to be concentrated and trained as believers. This is the instantiation, the presence, if you will, of the kingdom of Christ in our world, a local church body. You have the privilege, by God's grace, of being a member of it. Join one if you haven't. Join a strong, sound local church that preaches the whole counsel of God, that teaches the truth about manhood and womanhood, marriage, the family, the sexes, biblical sexuality, and so on. Join one. Join one that is teaching the whole counsel of God on all these matters, contending for the faith, expository messages, verse-by-verse preaching, the gospel being proclaimed. That's the kind of church you need. That is a response to these kind of trends. That is a response to the wisdom of man, which is no wisdom at all. That is the place, in fact, as we conclude, to find true equality. True equality, not being sameness. True equality, not meaning any lifestyle or desire or behavior pattern is approved. That's not equality, and neither is that love. True biblical love is not affirming anything that goes. True biblical equality is you and me being able to know Jesus Christ without any hindrance, without anyone preventing us from coming. True biblical equality is serving God as he has made us, serving God in the role he has given us. True biblical love is not affirmation. True biblical love is transformation. Praise God. By the love of God, hear these things intertwine. We are equal. We are equal at the foot of the cross. This world says it is teaching us equality and fairness, inclusiveness, and diversity, but it is actually teaching us the reverse of those things. Now is the time for Christians to put their thinking caps on, as our kindergarten teachers used to say. And now is the time for us to recognize that what we are being sold by the world is not the truth, but that there is, through the love of God, equality in the crucified and resurrected Christ. Thanks for listening to City of God, a podcast at the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're so thankful you stopped by. We encourage you to continue to join the conversation at cpt.mbts.edu, the official website of the center. And we encourage you to follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Join us in coming days as we continue the conversation on what it means to be the city of God in the city of man.